0: come to this part, Matthew 15, 1 to 28. This is God's Word. "'Then some Pharisees and teachers of the law came to Jesus from Jerusalem and asked, "'Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? They don't wash their hands before they eat.' Jesus replied, "'And why do you break the command of God for the sake of your tradition? For God said, "'Honor your father and mother, and anyone who curses his father and mother must be put to death.'" But you say that if a man says to his father or mother, whatever help you might otherwise have received from me is a gift devoted to God. He's not to honor his father with it. Thus you nullify the word of God for the sake of your tradition. You hypocrites, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are but rules taught by men. Jesus called the crowd to him and said, Listen and understand, what goes into a man's mouth does not make him unclean, but what comes out of his mouth, that is what makes him unclean. Then the disciples came to him and asked, Do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this? He replied, Every plant that my heavenly Father has not planted will be pulled up by the roots. Leave them. They are blind guides. If a blind man leads a blind man, both will fall into a pit." Peter said, explain the parable to us. Are you still so dull? Jesus asked them. Don't you see that whatever enters the mouth goes into the stomach and then out of the body? But the things that come out of the mouth come from the heart, and these make a man unclean. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, slander, These are what make a man unclean, but eating with unwashed hands does not make him unclean. Leaving that place, Jesus withdrew to the region of Tyre and Sidon. A Canaanite woman from that vicinity came to Him crying out, Lord, Son of David, have mercy on me. My daughter is suffering terribly from demon possession. Jesus did not answer a word, so His disciples came to Him and urged Him, send her away, for she keeps crying out after us. He answered, "'I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel.' The woman came and knelt before him. "'Lord, help me,' she said. He replied, "'It is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to their dogs.' "'Yes, Lord,' she said, "'but even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table.' Then Jesus answered, "'Woman, you have great faith. Your request is granted.' And her daughter was healed." from that very hour. Amen. We trust that God will bless to us this reading from His Word.
1: Well, let's turn in our Bibles to Matthew chapter 15. As Nigel said, we've been working our way through Matthew's gospel uh, over the course of 2017, really, and we've reached uh, chapter 15, and we're looking at verses 1 to 28 this morning. You'll find it on page 982 in the Pew Bibles, page 982. On Monday of this week, you may have seen the news that the notorious Charles Manson died at the age of 83. He had spent four decades in prison after being involved in brutal crimes in the 1960s. An article on the BBC News website explained that that he had a troubled upbringing, which resulted in a troubled life. As with any death of a person like Manson, there were moral debates about his life and legacy. I caught the end of one on BBC Radio 5 Live on Monday evening, and there were several commentators discussing Manson's life and the factors that made him turn out the way he did. I didn't hear much of the discussion, but there was one description of Manson that stood out. One of the commentators said this. They said, from his youth, he was a thoroughly disagreeable and violent person He knew how to present himself in certain ways. He was always a pretty despicable human being. He was always a pretty despicable human being. Strong statement that many of us, if we know the story of Charles Manson, would perhaps agree with. What struck me though as I was listening to the discussion was that the narrative that our culture and society would have us embrace and believe is that there are two types of people in this world. There are pretty despicable human beings, people like Charles Manson, Adolf Hitler, Joseph Stalin, Kim Jong-un, Robert Mugabe. And then there are ordinary good people like you and I, people who go about their daily lives without ever causing too much of a stir or too much of a problem. The problem with that kind of thinking is that it's at odds with how the Bible views us and presents us. One of the things that the Bible makes clear to us is that the hearts, that our hearts are the control center of our lives. What's happening in our hearts is reflected in our actions and in our words. Proverbs 4.23 captures this thought well, because there we read that the heart is the wellspring of life. Not only does the Bible tell us that the heart is the wellspring of life, it also tells us that it is broken, scarred by the effects of the fall. Listen to Jeremiah 17, verse 9. It says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? You see, while the world cuts off a certain section of despicable human beings and puts them in their own group, the Bible groups us all together. And what we find is that we're all in the same boat. The problem that Charles Manson had, the problem that I have, The problem that you have is the same. Our hearts are desperately sick. We've got this internal problem. Now, we need to say that the sinfulness of our hearts is reflected and acted upon in different ways, so there's clearly a difference between Manson's crimes and the sin that you and I struggle with, but the root cause of his crimes and our sin is the same. We all have an internal problem, and we all need an external Savior. In these verses in Matthew 15, it's as though Jesus has his eye on the target, and he aims for and hits the bullseye. He doesn't miss any of us in what he says in these verses. He reveals our heart problem, and he shows how faith in him is our only solution. As we saw last time we were in Matthew, Jesus performed incredible signs and wonders while he was on earth. He fed 5,000 people. With a minimal amount of food, he walked on water and calmed the wind, but hostility towards him has been increasing in recent chapters, and we're going to see that continue. You'll see in verse 1 that some Pharisees and teachers of the law go to Jesus, having traveled the whole way from Jerusalem. At this point, Jesus was in Galilee, so for Pharisees to travel from the capital to, to the rural northern countryside was quite a big deal. They weren't just going for a day trip, like we, we would maybe take a run to Port Stewart for some ice cream. The purpose of their trip was to confront this teacher that was becoming so famous and well known. They do confront him, and we're going to look at that in a minute. But the reason that we can say that this is a message for us all is in verse 10. Initially, Jesus is interacting with the Pharisees, but look at what he does in verse 10. Jesus called the crowd to him and said, Listen. And understand. It's as though he says, folks, gather in. You all need to hear this. What what I'm about to say is it's fundamental to understanding yourself, understanding other people, and understanding the world. And what he says in these verses is that we have a problem that only he can solve. And so what we're going to do this morning is look at these verses and think about those two broad points that we've mentioned already points that we all need to understand and take on board. We're going to think about the internal problem we have and the external Savior we need. So first of all, Jesus tells us about the internal problem we have in verses 1 to 20. As we've said already, a deputation of Pharisees land in Galilee to, to confront Jesus. The issue they want to talk to Him about is given in verse 2. The Pharisees say to Jesus, why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? They don't wash their hands before they eat. The issues that the Pharisees have is that disciples of Jesus aren't following the tradition of the elders. The tradition of the elders was teaching that was handed down from religious leaders of the past and had a really significant place in Jewish culture. Maybe think of some traditions that you have in your family that have been passed down through the years where you do your Christmas shopping, where you go for Christmas dinner, imagine the reaction if you suggested breaking the tradition. Wouldn't it wouldn't be a positive reaction. And the reaction of the Pharisees to Jesus' disciples seemingly breaking the tradition of the elders isn't a positive one. The issue they have is that Jesus' disciples aren't washing their hands before eating. It was more than just a, just a hygiene thing. Washing your hands before eating removed ceremonial uncleanness, so priests had to do it in the Old Testament. But the, the tradition of the elders said that everyone had to do it. The Pharisees had this long list of unclean things that you could encounter in your daily life. Their fear was that if you touched something unclean, then your hands would become unclean. And if your unclean hands touched unclean food, then the food became unclean. And if you ate the food, then your whole body would become unclean. Now, at this point, you may be thinking, like, really? This sounds a little bit ridiculous. But the the issue of ceremonial uncleanness is related to how people approached God in the Old Testament. But the tradition of the elders had taken it a step too far. They had created a fence to keep people from breaking the word. Jesus doesn't really respond to their accusation maybe like else he just thinks you're being ridiculous here. But he does respond, look at what he says in verse 3. He says, and why do you break the command of God for the sake of your tradition? What he's essentially saying through the question is because because of your tradition, you're breaking the law of God. By keeping to your fence, you're breaking the word. The Pharisees, you see, had elevated their tradition and Put it above what God had said in the law. It's a dangerous thing for anyone to do that. I came across another tradition of the elders on a trip to Israel a few years ago. We were staying in Jerusalem over a weekend, and we came across what was known as a Sabbath lift. One of the traditions of the elders was to do with keeping the Sabbath, and what the tradition said was that you, you, to make sure that you didn't break the Sabbath, you couldn't light a fire. And one of the implications of that was that you couldn't push a button or flick a switch because in doing so, you might create a spark and therefore potentially a fire. So what we came across in the hotel in Jerusalem was a lift that was programmed to go up and down continuously. It stopped at every level and just went up and down throughout the whole day, all so that people could avoid creating a spark, potentially lighting a fire, potentially working and potentially breaking the Sabbath. Sounds very complicated. But it's an example of the types of fences that the the tradition of the elders had created. And in verses 4 to 6, Jesus gives a real-life example of how the Pharisees are breaking the law of God because of their tradition. He refers to the fifth commandment and of how someone can follow their tradition, but nullify the Word of God. And then He's brutally honest with the Pharisees and calls them hypocrites in verse 7. Quoting Isaiah, he says that they're honoring God with their lips, but that their hearts are far from Him. They're attempting to solve their internal problem through external behavior. And it's at this point that Jesus pulls the crowd in and explains something profound and revolutionary. If you look down at verse 11 and then verse 18, Jesus says, What goes into a man's mouth does not make him unclean, but what comes out of his mouth, that is what makes him unclean. The things that come out of the mouth come from the heart, and these make a man unclean." In just a few words, Jesus removes the necessity of traditions and laws, and He focuses on an attitude that will take care of them all. It's it's as though He says, instead of focusing on your external actions, you need to focus on your internal problem. You're unclean because your heart is unclean. And this is the problem we all have. Charles Manson, you, me, we all have this internal problem. Jesus' words here have no less relevance today than they did 2000 years ago. What Jesus says here makes us, helps us make sense of our world. It gives us an answer as to why there are dictators ruling countries, why genocide and murder are still common today, why adultery and financial scandals are still being uncovered. What Jesus says here helps us understand other people, why we have broken relationships with family members, why there's tension between work colleagues, why neighbors are so difficult to get on with. But what Jesus says here also helps us understand ourselves, doesn't it? What He says explains why we sin, why we think we know best instead of going God's way, why we gossip, why we go onto that website that we know we shouldn't, why we linger jealously on someone's social media page. You see, our problem is internal. As it's been said, the heart of the problem is the problem of the human heart. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, slander. These are what make a man unclean. The posture of our hearts is just revealed in different ways. Some people end up as dictators. Some people commit horrendous crimes. But some people just live a quiet, godless life, slowly meandering through it without ever realizing there is a problem in the screw Tape Letters, C.S. Lewis writes, the safest road to hell is the gradual one, the gentle slope, soft underfoot, without sudden turnings, without milestones, without signposts. We can also blame external circumstances, can't we? Had it not been for fill-in-the-blank, our world wouldn't be in the mess that it's in. Had it not been for fill-in-the-blank, she wouldn't have done what she did. Had it not been for fill in the blank, I wouldn't have done that. But all the while, the problem is internal. And our only solution is an external savior. This is what Jesus wants the crowd to to know and to understand. It's what he wants us to know and understand. That the problem we all have is an internal one, and that we need an external savior. And that's the second thing we see in this passage. We see that our problem is an internal one, but we see the external Savior we need as well. Matthew moves the action on in verse 21, Jesus leaves the area that He's in, and He goes to the region of Tyre and Sidon. It's a journey that probably took months because Jesus and His disciples would have been on foot. Matthew doesn't tell us how long it takes, but a guess is that the seasons changed during the journey, possibly lasted from spring to late summer. But the thing that Matthew wants us to notice is that Jesus is now in Gentile territory. He never really moved too far out of Galilee throughout his ministry, but, but he made the occasional journey into areas like this. Immediately, someone appears in front of him, and there are two problems. The person is a Canaanite, and it's a lady. Generally speaking, Jews didn't really have much time for either, never mind both. But the Canaanite woman runs to Jesus And she makes a complete scene. She pleads with him to heal her daughter. She's suffering from demon possession. Interestingly, in verse 23, Jesus doesn't say anything to her. He doesn't doesn't respond. Verse 23 says Jesus did not answer a word. And the disciples around her are just finding the whole situation a little bit awkward. They just want Jesus to get rid of her and move her on. Verse 23, they say, send her away, send her away, for she keeps crying out after us. Most people agree that by not speaking to the, to the lady, Jesus is attempting to draw her out. She makes some initial declarations about him, but it seems as though he's trying to tease out where she is spiritually. He wants to see if her external words have an internal grounding. And it seems that they do. Verse 25, the woman kneels before him and says, Lord, help me, you can imagine her tone. She's desperate for Jesus to do something. His reply is a little bit harsh. It's not right for the, to take the children's bread and toss it to their dogs. What he's saying is that the message is for the, the children of Israel. Verse 24, he said, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. But the lady responds and says, yes, Lord, but even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall at their master's table. Her response reveals a humility. She acknowledges her position as an outsider, as a Gentile, as a woman, but she knows that Jesus is the external Savior she needs. And having teased her out, Jesus says, you have great faith. Your request is granted. She's realized her internal problem can't be resolved by herself. She's come to trust Jesus. She knows that he is the son of David, and she knows that if she says, Lord, help me, he can actually do something. Now, what's important to say is that it's not the lady's faith that saves her, it's her great and powerful Savior. Why is Jesus the external Savior we need, though? Well, as power is revealed in how He heals the Canaanite woman's daughter. in verse 28, we're told, and her daughter was healed from that very hour. Jesus is able, able to heal the girl from a great distance without even seeing her. But that's not the only reason He's the Savior we need. We see that Jesus is the Savior that we desperately need, most clearly at the cross. There, having been set up by the same Pharisees who came the whole way from Jerusalem down to speak to Him, He takes on all our internal problems, all our sin, and makes a way for us to be part of His family. Later in the New Testament, Paul writes, For our sake He made Him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. You see, the message of the gospel is not clean yourself up. It's not turn over a new leaf. It makes some positive resolutions and do the right thing. As Tim Keller says, the gospel is this, we are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dared believe, yet at the very same time we're more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever dared hope. We're far worse than we ever imagined and far more loved than we can ever dream. It's incredible news. Matthew 15 is telling us about our internal problem, but it's also telling us about our external Savior, our only solution, our only hope. There's an urgency to this message. Right in the middle of the passage, Jesus has a conversation with his disciples. It starts in verse 12. Then the disciples came to him and asked, Do you know that you know the Pharisees were offended when they heard this? And they're offended at what Jesus has just said. And you can understand why. They had traveled from Jerusalem, which was a long journey in itself. Jesus called them hypocrites. And not only that, he said that their tradition was wrong. They were really, really offended. Look at what Jesus says back to the disciples in verses 13 and 14. He replied, Every plant that my heavenly Father has not planted will be pulled up by the roots. Leave them, their are blind guides. If a blind man leads a blind man, both will fall into a pit. What he's saying is that any teaching contrary to what God has revealed has no future. So Jesus uses this gardening metaphor. You and I know what it's like to pull weeds out of the garden, it's a real pain. But when you pull a weed out of a flower bed or out of your driveway, it's gone. It has no future. The urgency in this passage is that you can't solve your internal problem yourself. And if you're trying to do that, like the Pharisees were, then know that that kind of thinking has no future. It's an utterly hopeless thing to try and save yourself. If a C.S. Lewis said, the safe road to hell is the one without milestones and signposts, then believing that you can sort your internal problem is as well. The message of Matthew 15 is an offensive message in some ways. Jesus hits the bullseye, and He zeroes in on the problem that we all have, and that we all try and forget about. We all need to hear this, though. We're all desperately sick. But the good news is that Matthew 15 also contains a message of hope it's a message that ultimately cost Jesus his life, but through losing his life, we're able to live ours to the full. He deals with our internal problem in a way that we can't because he is our external savior. Maybe you're here this morning and you've heard this message for a while, for, for years, for as long as you can remember. Life has been a, a gentle slope and you've avoided the problem, said so that you'll, you'll deal with it later. The urgency to this message is that you don't respond, you'll be pulled up at the roots. Could it be this morning that you need to move from just hearing to doing, not doing anything to try and save yourself, but by admitting your internal problem and trusting in the external Savior? By saying, just like that Canaanite lady in humility, Lord, help me. Her story is incredible in so many ways. Because of her background, she's not someone that you would expect to believe. She's an example of others who would come to believe, though. As the curtain is torn in two as Jesus dies on the cross, it's God's way of inviting the world to come to Him. And that invitation reaches down through the corridors of history to us here in Hill Street on the 26th of November, 2017. Same opportunity is available to us as it was to the Canaanite woman. We need the same thing an external Savior. Matthew 15 offers you the opportunity to turn to Him, if you haven't already, to say, Lord, help me, to turn to the Savior who's powerful, who is strong, to turn to the Savior who loves you far more than you could ever dream. So what will you do with the offer? Jesus reveals our heart problem and shows that faith in Him is our only solution Can only understand the world, others, and yourself by embracing and believing the truth of these verses that you have an internal problem and that you can only be saved by Jesus, the external Savior. Let's take a moment to pray together. Lord, we come to you this morning conscious that we Are far worse than we can ever realize or know. But We want to thank you that in the gospel and through your son, the Lord Jesus, we're more loved than we dare ever dream. We want to thank you for the gospel and for how Jesus deals with our external problem. We want to thank you for the amazing grace that he's shown us, and we pray that you'd help us to follow him in the days ahead. We pray that you'd be with us through the rest of our service, and we ask and pray in Jesus' name. Amen.